0: Welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast as we jump back into the review saddle. So it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. We have the the joys of life getting in the way, the joys of a busy store, which of course is always welcome. Uh, It's just left time a little bit more limited, but things are starting to settle down a little bit now. We're getting back into the old routine, recording on a Monday as much as possible. Although we have come up with a slightly more new delayed format, which we'll get into in a moment. But we're going to be chatting releases today that actually came out on the 26th of May. Now, a forewarning, this will be spoiler-filled. I actually remembered at the start, how proud of me are you, Mr. I, Keith Miller?
1: My, my heart runneth over with pride.
0: <laughs> uh, your host is always Alan, who's actually remembered to s- throw a spoiler warning out even before introducing himself. And uh, again, joined by Keith. So how are you on this Monday evening, good sir?
1: Yeah, I am doing all right. This was my first Monday back at work after a week of annual leave. Uh, So we have been down to Cork. uh, Some lovely weather down there. And uh, I have been up to, so literally one end of the country to the other. I've been up to the North Coast as well for my younger brother's 40th birthday. And uh, that's always a kick in the teeth for the older brother. Uh, But yeah, we had uh, had a great old time. And uh, I gifted him the, uh, the three volumes of Middle West and the perfect OGN from Brubaker Phillips in Pulp, uh, which, he, uh, which he appreciated greatly, as well as the, the little pin badge that you uh, also threw in for him whenever I bought that stuff in the shop. Thanks
0: very much. Yeah, I mean that's just a way of making sure he enjoys Middle West. He's no no uh, choice now. He has the wear the badge with pride. But <laughs> yeah, you know I will I will put you down as a good brother in, in recommending those titles. Obviously, Middle West we've spoken so highly about so many times, and and pulp. Yeah, just I think it took it as best original graphic novel for us last year, and it's a, a title that just gets better with each uh, subsequent read. To be honest, mm-hmm. so <clears throat> yeah, good choices there all round. Yeah, I mean, it's been busy for us as well. I mean, just the the store's been getting busier and busier. We were lucky enough recently to have that little Belfast Live article, and that's brought some new people to the store, some new eyes to the store, which is always a good thing. A lot of younger readers coming in again on top of that, and actually a few different people we've had in who... I've been talking a little bit more about the podcast and so forth recently, so we definitely got to get back on the horse here just to, you know, keep our fans happy, however limited they may be. <laughs> Such as they are. Such as they are. But yeah, i would mentioned about a new format. I mean, the thing is, as you may have surmised by now with myself and Keith, you know, we're, we're very serious comic readers. We we have a very definite fear of missing out when it comes to comics. We hate trade waiting. Uh, we're very much a, a single issue died in the wool kind of comic reader, so... Our pull list sometimes can can be anywhere upwards of twenty five to forty issues. Believe it or not, I believe you earmarked a, a future, a future day that is it's almost hitting forty, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. We uh, whenever I was I was uh, submitting my pull list for for August from the last previews book. I noticed there was a week in August that hits like 39 books, and I thought, okay, this this is becoming a wee bit of a problem. <laughs> it only but, took you 30 years to
0: work that yeah, out. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I maybe have to do a little <laughs> bit of uh, diligent diligent pruning, but yeah, I mean, we very often, you know, with New Comic Day being Wednesday, we've up until now tried to record on the following Monday, which hasn't even given us a week. Uh, and that's a week in which, you know, I am lucky enough to have a full time job and uh, and, a, and a loving girlfriend, as as Alan also is, despite his full time job being in in the store in a comic store. Uh, but it doesn't leave us a lot of time to actually read and inwardly digest the books uh, in order to present to uh, to our listeners a, a balanced view of what it was we we liked or and or didn't like. Um, so I think building in that extra week will allow us to just take a wee bit more time and, and not rush and you know not not have not have the reading of, of comics which is something we both really really love become a chore or a job uh, you know because that's the last thing that's the last thing we would want yeah, that's always
0: the worry that sometimes you're just reading through the books and maybe sometimes even powering through them just to, to get to the end of them. And as as Keith says, it's something we enjoy. It's something we do to relax and you know, it's something we enjoy sharing, you know, certainly our opinions and our, our takeaways from them. So so with that in mind, we're gonna continue as much as possible with the Monday night recording, releasing pods on a Tuesday, but we're just gonna delay it by a week now, so it'll give us that extra week to, to get through everything, make our own notes, you know, make our own sort of minds up on on what we thought but it also means it gives you guys longer to read the books and therefore not be worried about spoilers not be worried about having things ruined for you because it is tough for us to talk about things without spoiling them you're basically breaking it down to comic was good can't say anymore so (laughs) we want to go into a little deeper than that as you may have noticed with our you know lengthy reviews podcast so yeah it's going to be that new format so we're recording this on the Monday night. That's going to cover the 26th of May releases. We're hoping to record tomorrow night, which will be the 2nd of June releases, and then from there we'll pretty much fall into that delayed week. And therefore, again, gives you guys lo- uh, longer as well to pick up your own pulls. So, but with that in mind, I mean, we'll we'll filter out some uh, some news from the last couple of weeks into today's pod and also tomorrow. So, there there have been a couple of big announcements certainly since the last time we recorded. I mean, there's big changes afoot foot uh, at Marvel. We had seen Donny Cate's tease for a long, long time there. What was his next title going to be? Of course, coming out this week is actually Venom 200 or Venom 35 in his and Rand Stegman's run. That brings uh, an end to his run on everyone's favourite symbiote. So it was all about what was his next title going to be. And it just seemed to be quite coincidental, didn't it? That Mr. Al Ewing's run was starting to come to an end on Immortal Hulk with 50 coming up soon. Mm,
1: Exactly. I mean, and obviously... Donny Cates is on Thor at the minute, but uh, you know he was on that concurrently with Venom. Uh, so, so yeah, so, so yeah, that 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 Immortal Hulk run coming to an end after after fifty glorious issues, and what and what is turning out to be a character defining all time great run on Hulk uh, with with Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk. Uh, someone's going to have to step in and, and 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 take over Hulk while the title's still strong. Um, you know that 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 end was planned, and there's no point in, in going beyond it. So so it looks like Al Ewing is is handing over Hulk to to Donny Cates, and I I doubt it'll be the immortal Hulk. Uh, I very much doubt that. I think it's just Hulk, isn't it? The it incredible is indeed. Hulk. It's
0: just uh, solicited so far as Hulk number one. So it's Donny Cates going to be on writing duties, and then our favorite invincible artist, Ran Otley is going to be doing art for that. There's been some pages released so far. They've released the cover for it as well. I think Otley's a good fit for this. You know, he, he certainly likes his his artwork to be more action-based, more, you know, quite visceral. Uh, it looks like they can get away with a lot in this, in terms of using uh, green blood, shall we say, instead of the <laughs> traditional red. If you've read Invincible, you know Ran Otley is not someone who shies away from gore-filled action. And when you've got someone as uh, violent as the Hulk and you want to work him into a, a mainstream comic, I don't think you're going to have him knocking out teeth in the same way that uh, some of those epic, epic, sometimes issue-long fights in Invincible. Mm. So uh, they've, they've, they've found a way to uh, to bring him into the Marvel fold in that sense. So he's he's going to be the artist on Hulk. And then we we just found it really interesting that they're actually going to be doing a switcheroo in a way. So Donny Cate's coming from Venom over to Hulk and Al Yoon is going from Hulk over to Venom and it's actually going to be co-written as well and I was really excited to see his his co-writer for this is going to be none other than Ram V who you know we obviously chatted to not too long ago one of our favorite writers around at the moment doing great stuff at DC certainly with Swamp Thing with Justice League Dark backups and Catwoman but it's good to see him you know branched out it, it's so good I know we we talk a lot about you know i Mr. DC or Mr. Marvel blah 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 I think it's so great to see writers writing for both companies that they're not so mm. territorial anymore. You know, Chip Zdarsky can write Daredevil at and and Spider's Shadow at Marvel, but he can work on Batman, Urban Legends at DC. It's it's a wonderful thing to see. I think.
1: I yeah, know. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think the maybe the the era of like, exclusive clon- contracts that has has dogged a lot of the the early two thousands is coming to an end um and and allowing that and, and obviously these these writers being I guess superstars in their in their own rights, you know, they're they're swapping liberally between uh you know the the big two and the the independents. Uh they're you know they're and they're the creator own stuff and the the licensed stuff. So I think yeah I think it's I think it's great. I mean I'm really interested Cates and Ewing will have a bit of a chat as to what Cates is holding on to and from the Immortal Hulk and what ewing is holding on to from from kate's venom run and and how that'll how that'll work so i mean immortal hulk continuing. it's going to have to be a different book it's going to have to be you know a different a different book you could almost take al ewing's immortal hulk if it wasn't so closely tied to you know the marvel universe you could always you could take it into its own pocket universe i mean i guess possibly that's the sort of thing they would do with the new reconstruction of the the uh, the Infinite Universe at DC, you know. Um, but, yeah, it'll be, at the same time, I wouldn't like to see everything thrown out the window uh, because they both have been epic runs. So, yeah, interesting to see what's, what's going on here, and especially whenever you look at what's coming up in the extreme carnage uh, with Flash Thompson as Agent Venom back and, uh, you know, Eddie Brock. Well, we'll find out what Eddie Brock's fate is this week uh, coming. Um and uh, yeah, interesting times indeed. On interesting
0: times, yeah, very much so. I mean that that writing team and Venom's great, and then you also have industry legend Brand Hitch on art for that as well. So in terms of learning more about that, they're both set, uh, scheduled to come out this November. But prior to that, there is going to be a free comic book day Spider Man Venom number one issue, and also a free comic book day Avengers slash Hulk issue. So <laughs> free comic book day this year is slated for August fourteenth. So keep an eye out for that. They're all on order for the store. And you guys will certainly be able to pick them up at Coffee and Heroes. So, uh, as well as that, in the last week or so, there's also been the release of the 2021 Eisner Awards nomination. So, Eisner's are essentially the, the equivalent of the Oscars for the comic world, except usually the right person wins, unlike with the Oscars, which is more of a popularity contest, but I digress. But the, the awards came out, the or the nominations, sorry, came out. There's around 32 categories or something. And, you know, we, we can't quite comment on every single uh, category because there's things that we certainly haven't read, things like Best Short Story, things like uh, Best Publication for Early Readers, that kind of thing. But we're just going to throw out a few E suggestions for certainly ones that we would maybe have a little bit more input uh, into and maybe a little bit more of an opinion on. And these are
1: stacked categories? Like, these are... Every one of them, you're going, oh, but, but.
0: Yeah, I think they've been listening to our podcast this year when it comes to these nominations in some cases because not only have we sort of uh, talked about their virtues all year round, but following the, the news section of this, quite a few of these are going to be reviewed and certainly talked about a little bit more as well, so... The ones we were just going to have a quick look at and and sort of offer our opinion on. So you've got Best Continuing Series. So six nominations here. You've got Bitter Root by David F. Walker, Chuck Brown and Samford Green. That's published through Image. You've got Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Ciccetto, of course, through Marvel. The Department of Truth by James Tenney IV and Martin Simmons at Image. Gideon Falls by Jeff Lemire and Andreas Sorrentino, also at Image. You may see a pattern emerging here. Stillwater by Chip Zdarsky two two nominations in the one category geez and raymond k Perez again with image and then you have also usagi Ujimbo by stan sakai and that's through idw i mean this is a tough category what
1: what takes it for you here um i mean i haven't i haven't read gideon falls i know it's finished and i'm looking forward to to getting a look at that so for me that that has to be out at the minute just through lack of my own knowledge so I don't know. It would have to be either Daredevil or Department of Truth. I'm loving Department of Truth um, at the minute, though Daredevil is super strong and great looking.
0: It's interesting because they're all at different levels as well, because Daredevil's mm. in, around 30 issues in. Department yeah. of Truth's still in the single-digit numbers, so Stillwater, uh, Usagi, is has been on for a long time. And then, as you stated, Gideon Falls is finished. For me, Daredevil takes it here, despite the plethora of... Uh, or plethora i should say of image titles there i think daredevil mm-hmm. just takes that one for me uh next up i thought it was worth looking at best limited series so you've got barbellion red planet by jeff lemire tate brombal and gabriel hernandez walter that's published through dark horse decorum by jonathan hickman and mike huddleston at image far sector by nk jemison and jamal campbell at dc strong dc representation in this one actually uh, strange Ooh. adventures by tom keen mitch Dredds, and evan doc I like that they specify DC Black Label, not just DC. Mm-hmm. Superman's Pal Jim Ilson by Matt Fraction and Steve Leiber. And then We Live by Anaki Miranda and Roy Miranda at Aftershock. And despite that ridiculous strength from DC there, and there are many deserving winners, We Live takes it from me here.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a tight one because uh, Decorum is probably the most unique book coming out at the minute um, by, by Jonathan Hickman. Strange Adventures is really hot up in the in the back in the back third, you know, the third act, it's it's doing fantastic. Superman's pal Jimmy Olson by Fraction and Lieber was just brilliant. It was so good. Absolute but, delight. But I read We Live This Week and it is something else. So I think I would have to agree with you
0: yeah and more on that uh, as we go through the pod today so best new series we have black widow by kelly thompson and elena casagrande at marvel crossover by donnie Cates and jeff shaw at image department of truth by james tinian and martin simmons at image Philadelphia by rodney barnes and jason sean alexander at image and we only find them when they're dead by al yoon and simon de this one is through boom studio so i must admit i'm i'm a little surprised not to see seven secrets there i thought that mm. would have been up there with we only find them when they're dead for a, a boom studio series what takes it here that this is a this is between two for me i'm sure you can guess the two
1: uh, yeah uh, it's it's between three for me um i think we only find them when they're dead is an unsung hero in this category Mm-hmm. It's it's the best the best looking book among them. It it is I mean it's it's hard science fiction and Al the story is really in the second arc at the start of the second arc we really started to see where maybe this is going but it's but then there's also Department of Truth in Philadelphia so if you if you were pinning me down and telling me that I had to choose one I think it would have to be. Philadelphia, Philadelphia. well we're in
0: agreement for that one i think Philadelphia just edges department of truth mm. just because it's been going that little bit longer but not there it's like a hair's breadth between the two of yeah. them to yeah be agreed honest. agreed uh so what else have we got we got best writer uh so no i mean you want to talk tough categories holy crap like any of these would be deserving winners so best writer you've got ed brubaker pulp reckless You've got Math Fraction, Man's Pal, Jimmy Olsen, Adventure Man, November, uh, Sex Criminals, you've got Jonathan Hickman, Decorum, X-Men, Jeff Lemire, Barbellion, Black Hammer, The Question, The Many Deaths of Vic Sage, Family Tree, Gideon Falls, you got James the fourth, Something is Killing the Children, Wind, The Department of Truth, and then Chip Zdarsky, Stillwater, Daredevil, Fantastic Four, X-Men to name but a few. Pfft, that is a tough, tough... <laughs> Tough group.
1: What way are you going to jump on
0: I think Tinian will probably take it just because he's had such a breakout year. I think Brubaker's probably won this about 20 times by now because he's just that good. Uh, Chip has won it a few times. I think Hickman's won it. I think just based on the sheer... In terms of developing hit series in the last year to year and a half, I don't think anyone comes close to Tinian in terms of you know, bringing in people... Like for titles like "Someone's Killing the Children," but also "Department of Truth," but also "Wind" is very different. While simultaneously balancing the the bat books as well, so I could make a massive case for Ed Brubaker just because "Pulp and Reckless" or something else. But
1: I think Tenney will probably take this. And is that different from the question of who you would like to take it?
0: I would like to see Brubaker take it. I think mm-hmm.
1: you know. I mean, if you're if you're basing it on the on the titles that are listed there. Rather than anything else beyond that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it's still a tricky. It's still a tricky contest. Um, I totally agree. Something is killing the children when Batman: Department of Truth uh, for tinny in there. Brewbegger because Pulp and Reckless were just two of the best books of the year so far. I mean, Pulp you can read again. Reckless you can read again and again. So, so I totally agree. But I can't overlook Jonathan Hickman either because I've really been enjoying. The creativity of decorum and also within Giant Size X Men and X Men. I mean, this guy has totally reimagined an entire family of books and given them grounding that's going to take them forward over the next I think a long time. You know, he's 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 taken the paradigm of the you know, the school of gifted school of gifted youngsters, you know, the X Men and that and he's just totally he's totally shifted it, he's reimagined it, he's reinvigorated it uh, in a way that the x-men haven't been reinvigorated since probably uh you know i would say the 70s you know um more so even than more so even than jim lee uh i would i would say so uh yeah but uh, in the final analysis for me it would be Blue bigger <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go ed you have two votes from this podcast and then just one last one just have a look at just because again i have a, a sentimental pick here definitely in this category so it's best penciler slash anchor slash penciler anchor team so you've got michael allred for bowie stardust ray guns and moonage daydreams marco chichetto for daredevil jorge corona for middle west bertrand's Gatnagal for pistuvi mitch Dredd slash evan doc shaner strange adventures and sanford green for bitter root now there's two things i'd like to see here there's i wouldn't mind saying mitch dreads and evan doc shaner win just because i think their twitter banter would be really fun about them having to share that but sentimental pick for me has to be jorge corona for middle west
1: yep yeah, yeah i uh i think you're right um yeah, and I, I, I'd be you'd be doing Margot Gichero a disservice not to not to mention them, but uh, yeah, Middle West was fantastic, a fantastic uh, choice of penciler by Scotty Young. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I think brilliant, brilliant Middle West, yeah. Alright, Corona.
0: Yeah, so th- those are just some of the the main categories. There are, of course, others. You can certainly check it out. Just have a look at it up. Uh, have a look at the Comic-Con website, San Diego Comic-Con website, so comic-con.org, and you'll get the full list, and you can have a little look through that for yourself. But, yeah, it's, it's just great to see a lot of the stuff that we've certainly been enjoying and championing in the last year, you know, being recognized by the industry. So maybe our taste isn't too bad, or maybe we do really just read everything.
1: And I think, Alan, if whenever we post a podcast we put up the link, it would be really interesting to, uh, to hear what everybody else thinks or has to say on, on some of the categories. I think that can
0: certainly be arranged so do check, the out right the, track. check out the notes for the podcast and we'll make sure to put that link in there for you uh, and then just to finish off with a few different things there were a few really cool trailers that dropped over the last couple of weeks I'll leave probably the biggest one to last even though it's first on our notes because I think it'll be the one we talk about the most. But there was a very short trailer for Cobra Kai season four. This must have got you excited as a, a Karate Kid fan.
1: Oh yeah, it's like they've been holding out. They've been holding out. You know, we had our, we had our, uh, our uh, Daniel and and Johnny, you know, face off in, in season one, and then we had Kreese come back in, in season two, and uh, and and all of that sort of stuff. And so they finally, uh, they finally revealed uh, through through Twitter uh that uh and confirmed the speculation that's been around since the third season finale that uh terry silver the the villain of karate kid part three will be coming back for cobra kai season four uh so there's a new teaser trailer and a new poster uh thomas ian griffith who was the original terry silver uh will be as i say reprising that role and uh the the producers uh, Josh Herald and John Herwitz and Hayden uh, Schlossberg said since the beginning of the series, we've been carefully orchestrating the right moment to unleash the Cobra Kai dojo co-founder Terry Silver back into the universe. That moment is now. We can't wait for the whole world to experience Thomas Ian Griffith's majestic maturing to the uh, to the franchise. And it was it was posted alongside a picture of him and and the original Karate Kid uh, three. You know he's a he's a, a ponytailed guy. You know because. Bad guys all had ponytails in the eighties. Um and it, it obviously it's a grey ponytail now and it just says now the real pain begins. So this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome and it's gonna have everybody rushing to uh, to watch Karate Grid Part Three, which I think was the most unappreciated movie of the trilogy. Um where where Daniel uh leaves behind Miyagi Doe and goes to train with Cobra Kai as as Mr. Miyagi won't won't support him in uh in uh re readmitting himself to the to the competition so that's a good one that's a good one and terry Silver's a a great bad guy i mean any more cobra kai
0: is just fine by me either way but yeah it's just great how they keep rewarding longtime fans and bringing back these established favorites they did it with crease they you know they obviously do such a great job with uh johnny and daniel as well so it's it's just nice to see them reach it into that treasure trove you know so uh yeah definitely something to look forward to there with season four Another trailer that hit that actually looked really cool as well is for a movie coming out soon called Old. This is actually the latest movie from M. Night Shyamalan, who can be a bit of a divisive director. I'm a, I'm a fan, personally. I mean, The Sixth Sense is, is fantastic. Unbreakable, as my brother once called it, is the best Batman movie they never made. Just a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful comic book movie. I even really enjoyed Split, I, and I enjoyed uh, Glass as well. I, I don't think you've seen Glass yet, have you?
1: I haven't watched Glass yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to to doing so at some point in the in the near future. Uh, I keep it's one of those ones that I keep I keep trying to get to and don't ever quite get round to it. It's the team up movie,
0: so it's uh, it's definitely worth watching. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it, but yeah, with this one old, it's uh, it's a new thriller about a family on a tropical holiday who discover that the beach that they're on they they think they're only relaxing for a few hours, but it's somehow causing them to age rapidly. Which reduces their entire lives into a single day. Just a really cool looking trailer. I thought it was really creepy looking. Very tense and an excuse definitely to go back to the cinema again soon. But the problem with going back to the cinema soon is that they keep releasing really cool stuff to keep you in the house. Just like the latest trailer for Netflix's new Masters of the Universe revelation <laughs> the war for attorney begins again in what may be the final battle between he-man and skeletor holy crap what a trailer this was
1: oh it was it was brilliant i had been uh i had been out for dinner uh the night that it dropped and wasn't really looking at our chat and uh it was the first thing i saw in the morning whenever i whenever i woke up and excitedly immediately posted a link in the chat Only to be told we've already talked this through <laughs> but <laughs> i mean for me this is just this is just the old. I grew up on, on He Man, you know, and, and the Masters of the Universe, and, you know, was one of the first, I guess, superhero style characters, though you wouldn't ever consider him a superhero um, at the time, I guess. But it was just the trailer looks so, so good. It's a, a continuation of the original animated series and and a much more, I guess, fleshed out, mature reimagining. Uh, and, you know, all of the, the characters that you recognize there. And I mean, I couldn't, you know, the, 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 it's, it's, it's under Kevin Smith's direction. Uh, there's some great, amazing voices. Uh, Chris Wood voices, uh, Adam, uh, and, uh, and I guess he-man Mark Hamill, Skeletor, Sarah Michelle Geller's in there, Alicia Silverstone, uh, Lena Headey, Kevin Conroy, and I think Jason Muse is in there voicing Stinkor. But, uh, Oh, and and if if if, if for nothing else, the inclusion of Bonnie Tyler's uh, "Holding Out for a Hero" just absolutely leveled it up. It was so so good. Um, I I had to. I was sitting there just watching it and almost, almost, you know, just waiting for "I Have the Power." So so good.
0: Yeah, great looking animation style as well that doesn't move it too far away from the classic era but it also modernizes it as well certainly in some of the fight sequences that were teased there. I particularly enjoyed the, the little detail that if you look really closely where Skeletor is doing this huge punch and it kind of looks like he's opening up a portal to just bring through a huge hand to punch He-Man but if you look closely you can see he's actually putting his own hand through a small portal. So, it's actually a bigger version of his own hand. There's all these cool little details too, which yeah, are just really, yeah. really fun. But yeah, this is. Uh, w- when are we actually looking for this coming out? It's due later this year. It's, of course, going to have the. There is going to be a tie in comic book to this as well, Masters of the Universe Revelation. So, definitely keep an eye out for that as well. But uh, in terms, yeah, of release dates, when are we looking here?
1: Uh, we're looking at July. So, next month. Uh, I think we're about six weeks out. 23rd of july
0: just when we yeah. were all looking forward to going out into the nice weather we we're all standing and watching he-man and pretending we're <laughs> 10 again
1: i mean that said i'm really looking forward to getting to the cinema to see the quiet place too and nobody uh hopefully get a get a look i haven't been in the cinema in a long time uh so i'm really looking forward to to getting out and
0: yeah, definitely a cinema a trip is very much needed at this point. I think Quiet Place 2 would probably be the first thing we go to see as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, Absolutely. in preparation for Black Widow 2, which is not of too... Or Black Widow 2. we haven't even seen the first Black Widow. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself here. Anyway, yeah, that'll sort of do it for a little bit of a chat about, you know, comics, TVs, movies, all the rest. We're here to chat some comics, and we are going to be reviewing, as I say, titles that came out on the 26th of May. So, again, plenty of spoilers within. So... As we had stated in the intro, I mean, sometimes our pull list can get a little bit mm. out of control, and this was definitely one of those weeks, despite oh, yes. the fact that only two Marvel titles. How'd that happen? Anyway, mm. uh, 31 titles in total for me this week. So I had 13 DC, uh, two Marvel, of course, Indie won the day, 15 Indie, and then I had an Indie hardcover book, which was uh, Death or Glory by Rick Remender and Bengal in a out in a
1: luxurious large hardcover edition. What about yourself? What were your totals this week? I was just one behind you. I had 30 titles uh, on the uh, on the release week of 26th of May. Uh, really nice balance across, uh, across the whole lot. I had 9 DC, uh, 10 Marvel, and 10 Indie. Uh, plus I had one Indie trade paperback, which was uh, We Live by the Anaki Brothers, which we'll talk about uh, a wee bit down the line. So uh, we were fairly neck and neck there, but yeah 9 dc you only had you only had two marvel there Alan. and i had 9 dc i feel like i
0: don't know <laughs> My letting aside down <laughs> I, th- I think the thing is with marvel at the moment before we jump into this just a, a quick aside but i think the thing with marvel for me is at the moment i i, I enjoyed the first issue of heroes reborn but i wasn't massively captivated about it, so i didn't jump on heroes reborn i'm not going to be reading hellfire gala because i'm going to wait for a nice big omnibus of that the same way i did with x of swords so there's sort of two of Marvel's events that there's a lot of focus on that I'm not reading. So I think that's what it falls down to. But I assure you there's there's plenty of Marvel on the horizon for me. Don't don't worry too much about that. This was just uh this was an outlier of a week, shall we say. But it's just such a shame that your one trade paperback wasn't a DC trade paperback, and then that would have been a perfect balance of 10-10-10.
1: It would have been, but then I'd wish that I'd missed We Live and nobody wants
0: that. Well, that is very true. So, yeah, uh, a pretty stellar week. I mean, we're a very heavy emphasis, of course, on back titles, which we'll get into, because that's pretty much most weeks for DC. They definitely know where their money is made. Uh, a couple of good Marvel ones to have a chat about, and then, as usual, plenty of indie. So, we'll kick things off with DC anyway, and, of course, with a title that... Let's be honest, it would be our pick of the week every single time it came out, but we're trying to you know, show a little bit of decorum here, a little bit of diversity and not just pick it every time, but we're of course talking about Nightwing number 80. So this is from Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo, and any week that contains a new issue is just a week to look forward to. I mean, you, you made a big statement regarding this, you know, I, I know you were a huge fan of of uh, a certain magician, a certain wizard in the DC yeah. Universe, but yeah. this is they the equal will. of
1: it? I will stand by it. it well, I mean, the, the statement that I made was that this is this is Tom Taylor at his best, and I think this is DC's best book since Sice Barrier stopped. Well, was was unceremoniously dumped off Hellblazer. Uh John Constantine Hellblazer, which was, as you know, if you listen to the to the pod, just I, I never stopped ranting about it because those twelve issues were brilliant, perfect. But uh, I mean, I think it's the I think it's the match, Alan, and I, and I don't know why we didn't see it earlier that uh that tom taylor's absolute you know his his big hearted writing would be a perfect fit perfect match for dc's biggest hearted hero
0: that's fair that's fair i mean we're, we're three parts into this series now so it kicked off with tom taylor 19 and issue 78 and this is a storyline called leaping into the light you know it it has Dick Grayson being investigated in this issue for the death of a homeless man that he had booked a room for uh, in the previous issue in a moment of charity. You know, what started out as a noble gesture and, you know, Dick has been trying to figure out a way to help people. He's inherited Alfred's fortune after his untimely death, unfortunately. So he's looking at ways to better the world around him with, the, with that money. And of course, it takes a dark turn because the man's found murdered. And as the police turn up to chat to Dick Grayson about it, Dick's like, what about his son? And they go, oh. That we didn't know about his son. It's strange uh-huh. that you do. So of course this leads to a little bit of suspicion towards him, and uh, leads to some absolutely brilliant scenes from from here on in. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean it was, uh, you know that 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 investigation, as you say, these two detectives to to Dick Grayson's door. Just as Babs is leaving, so you know he needs an alibi. So uh, he, he phones he phones Barbara, uh, formerly Batgirl, now Oracle, full time. Uh, to to swing around and come back, and while they're being interrogated, they are asked about the nature of their relationship, and I think it's one of the best pages in comics so far this year. It's just, it's it's just comedy genius, you know. Over the last, I think over the last few weeks, um, uh, Dick Grayson between Teen Titans Academy and his uh. uh yeah I guess relationship not quite relationship with starfire uh, over there and the mention about about babs and and so forth uh, and then the relationship clearly over here um has been a point of contention but this is really I just thought that the dialogue here was just fantastic yeah. <laughs> you know about uh, they're asked about the nature of their relationship and they just look at each other and just sort of whew, okay. You know, and Dick says, "I've been wondering that myself." But an interrogation is not how I wanted to broach the subject. Babs is that's not relevant. The detective. <laughs> I think we'll decide what's relevant. She goes, "Really?" Because I have a law degree. And Dick's like, "Oh, yeah, so do I. I have that as well." <laughs> you know, so the whole that whole exchange is just it was brilliant. Very much typifies that relationship, and I absolutely laughed my ass off at it. Uh, I thought it was very cool, very cute, uh,
0: as well. I mean, it's just, it's a great book in terms of the relationship between the writer and artist, because, you know, obviously they've worked together many times before, you know, Tom Taylor, he's able to balance the light with the dark, with aplomb, you know, there's an interesting plot here, amazing character interactions, just as what we're chatting about there, and I definitely think if he has a follow-up book, it should be a Nightwing slash Batgirl slash Oracle team-up book, and he's got his usual blend of heart and humor here as well, I mean, there's a there's a part just a few pages later after that interrogation where he meets Tim Drake on the rooftops. And uh, Tim basically gives him a, a wallet chain. It means kids can steal your money. And as an added bonus, you confront the soft metal band in the early 2000s. I'm never <laughs> living this down, am I? This, of course, linking back to Dick having his wallet stolen and it being shared in the uh, the Bat Chat, if you will, on yes, uh, uh... Facebook Messenger. But the writing's great, but also Redondo's just perfect artist for this. You know, he's able to convey emotions and characters' thoughts with simple facial expressions, and he's he's actually also able to get his own humour into the book with little details. I mean, check out the, the cups in the interrogation scene, for example, and one of them is <laughs> the Adam West Batman running down the street. You know, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. And then the next page, you've got these sort of top-down layouts as, as Babs and Dick walk around the apartment, formulating the plan and so forth. And then there's great action as well throughout. I mean... In case you hadn't guessed, we we quite like this book.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I love it. I I also, I mean, you you won't love it as much as I did, but I also love the the team up with Tim Drake, uh, who seems to be back full time as Robin. Uh, he's not Red Robin, he's not Drake uh, anymore. And since Damian Wayne is uh is off in his own book, it seems very much like he's I don't know if he's Robin or Red Robin or what he is. But I mean, these two guys, these two guys are a great match. You know, I think they're the they're the closest of the of the two Robins, you know, or the two former Robins. Uh they're 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 as much like brothers, more like brothers than any of the rest of them, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, they work really well together. Nightwing and, and Tim Drake as as the I guess the smartest and most analytical of the of the Robins. He's a really great um a counterpoint to to Dick's to Dick's impulsive heart uh you know so it's the it's the head and the heart right there, but I love the scene where they're fighting uh back to gag against the against the two villains and uh Robin doesn't have his uh doesn't have his quarter staff uh and he he needs it because this i guess this villain is electrified and so we see the detail of 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 dick pulling the rattan sticks off his back and then linking them together twisting them and and extending them. Uh, and they become a full quarter staff, which he tosses to Robin. I think that that was that was great. Uh, and then the you know the detail the the I guess there are five panels across one page of the two of them taking on and teaming up and, and using team tactics against the the two villains. And you know that I, I just love that that teamwork. And I also love I think, I don't know if we mentioned it, but the fact that that Nightwing's uh I guess swing line. Now it looks very much like a like a high wire um, trapeze mm-hmm. handhold, uh, which it didn't before. So the, you know, the swing line pops out of the of the the, the middle of the, the, the rattan stick rather than at the end, like it like Daredevils does. Yeah. So it looks very much like the the trapeze artist that he used to be in the circus.
0: Well, it's an interesting one, as you say, with those two obviously getting on so well and being quite alike. I mean, they were the two Robins who naturally outgrew the Robin role and went out on their own. Obviously, Dick mm. Grayson went out to become Nightwing. Uh, Tim Drake was out to become Red Robin, whereas obviously Jason Todd was taken from Bruce. And then, of course, there's there's Damien, who we'll, we'll certainly get to in a little bit as well. But yeah, just a brilliant, brilliant book. I mean... You know, we we can't keep saying it enough, but (laughs) it's this book is so good it's (laughs) got Vicky reading DC. That's all I'll say. Uh, That's all I'll say. So yeah, Nightwing number eighty. If you haven't got on it, 78 and seventy nine have both went back to second print in some cases with superb covers as well. So definitely get on it. I mean, if you're interested in it, just pop in the store and let us know, and we will get you sorted. So. But speaking of stunning-looking books as well, uh, there was a new issue this week of Detective Comics 1036. So this is from the team of uh, Mariko Tamaki on writing and Dan Mora on art. And for me, Dan Mora just simply gets Batman. You know, between the Detective Comics homage on page one is there's a, a newspaper article in the Gotham Gazette and it's Does Masked Avenger Have Connection to Worth Murder? And it's a recreation of Detective Comics 27 as their main um, as their main image on there. You know, he also ushers in this consistently uneasy feeling you get from the dangerous streets of Gotham. You know, it seems like there's danger around every corner in this Gotham that he draws. There's larger-than-life villains and Everything just feels and looks right. And he even pulls off, I don't know if you've seen it, in about eight or nine pages, and he pulls off a great silhouette of Batman without his mask. And it's actually instantly iconic, I think, you know, it's obviously Bruce standing on the rooftops looking out, and you can just yeah. see the hairline, and it's actually yeah. perfectly mirrored on the other page with him in full view as well. But oh my god, I mean, the the writing yeah. in this book is great. You know, there's a lot of great mystery beats in here as well. But oh my god, the art in this just just elevates it every single every single issue. I think.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's it's just it's a beautiful looking. I mean, Dan Mora, who we are a favourite of from Once and Future. Uh, he's just he's killing this book it, it looks so good and it, it yeah I think it just really the art really really matches uh, to Maggie's to Maggie's writing it's uh, yeah it's just it's it's gorgeous it's, abso- it's absolutely gorgeous <laughs> and it's a story that's building in a whole load of directions you know there's penguin features here you know as the I guess as the, the, the criminal villain we've got Mr. Worth who is a businessman but appears to have a lot of kingpin-like criminal interests, uh, shall we say. Lady Clayface is in here, who is a character that I know very little about. And, uh, and and Huntress features off the back of the backstory that recently featured, and she's sort of investigating the story from that backstory, the death of Mary Knox. So we've got this, uh, I guess this possible, is it like an infection mm-hmm. uh, that seems to be like, parasitic and you can see it in these gross things in people's eyes um so it really i mean to me this is maybe apart from justice league dark this is the best use of that backstory format you know because they've they've told the story separately from the main story and then immediately pulled it in to to the main story
0: yeah i definitely agree with that i mean the backup story it, it stands on its own two feet and feels individual but as you say, it ties into the main storyline as well as that. You know, I think one of its main strengths is that it feels very different to the main Tinian Batman title. It, the main Tinian Batman title, maybe feels more blockbustery and maybe a bit more action orientated, whereas this is, as the title suggests, detective based, which is exactly what it should be. You know,
1: yeah, and I mean the the change in Bruce's circumstances. You know, uh, following Joker War, where he's now, you know, short a pound or two, and he's had to move into. What do they call it, Fort Fort Gray? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's still a it's still a, a neighborhood that I couldn't afford to buy a house in. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, he's, so he's got these. He's suddenly got neighbors, and you know, he's he's got these. He doesn't have his bat cave. He has all these micro caves built into the sewers. You know, so it's it's a much more it's a much more uh, nearly like it's almost friendly neighborhood Batman, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh it's a much more personal look at Batman and looking at Bruce's life, how it is now. Uh, more in a way that maybe Tinian isn't doing so much Mm -hmm. well he's he's focusing on those those larger questions you know so brilliant you
0: know there's there's a i didn't think i would be the one saying this but there's enough batman titles on the shelves we don't need friendly neighborhood batman as well you know (laughs) we're looking at you tom taylor you'll be getting an idea for that but yeah sticking with gotham as well so this week saw the release of number two of robin so anything involving damien immediately has my attention you know in my opinion of course and only my humble opinion he is the best robin after all and this series from joshua williamson and gleb Melnikov has been a blast so far i mean what what do you pitch this one as
1: uh this is Enter the dragon meets the bat family exactly uh, to what, me this is what yeah. more do you need to know uh-huh. and uh, where where damien plays a slightly naughtier version of bruce lee's character i guess <laughs> um or maybe maybe one of the more villainous characters on the island but uh, I think as we 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 both realised, you know, this is it's hard to believe this is only two issues in because they've established a whole lot and a whole lot of characters, or at least they're starting to. Damien's already died once, um, and we're we're discovering, you know, something more of the rules of the competition and why Lazarus Island is so aptly named. Yeah,
0: very much so. And, you know, you can see relationships building in the first couple issues. You know, Damien seems to have an ally in Ravager as well who's looking out for him and, and also acts as our introduction, over, almost as our narrator for it a lot of the time, as you say, explaining the rules, you know, the sort of three strikes and you're out policy, that kind of thing. You know, I I find it really funny that the prize for winning this tournament is immortality. 'Cause to be honest in a way, that's actually Damien's birth, right? You know, as the daughter of Talia Al Ghul and the grandson of Rej Al Ghul. I mean, he he could have immortality any time he wants, just go back to, to his yeah. original family and you know? then
1: you know, he wouldn't have earned that. He would be given it. And I don't know if that's what Damien's about. He's been about earning earning the title of Batman. Yeah. You know, from his from his father. So he maybe feels like he has to earn this as well. So rather than just be given it by virtue of his of his birth. I mean, I'm I'm not a Damien fan, as you know, but I'm really enjoying this book. Uh, it's Joshua Williamson, Joshua Williamson of uh, his huge long flash run theme which was just brilliant. Uh, I know he's uh, isn't it Sweet Tooth? Mm-hmm. Isn't that isn't that the one you're oh, always
0: Sweet Tooth's Jeff Lemire?
1: Oh, it's Jeff Lemire. What's the other one? Baby, baby teeth. Oh, I can't remember. Baby teeth is uh, Tony Cates. And what's the Joshua Williamson book? That's what I'm thinking about.
0: <laughs> Nailbiter.
1: Nailbiter. That's that's the one. One of those three that I haven't read. I uh So, but uh, but Joshua Williamson is currently he's the he's the guiding hand on the DC universe right now. Uh, you know, with the the, the establishment of uh, the the infinite universe and all of that. But uh, at the same time, I don't think you need I don't think you need any of that to enjoy this. Nothing at all. Uh, I mean, I it, they just, give you everything yeah. you need in
0: the first issue. You know. In terms of his relationship to batman the fact that he's you know feeling a little bit like he has to get away from him that kind of thing i mean bottom line this is just great art fun storytelling you know it's it's great to see that not even death has changed damien or slowed him down he's still the same impulsive little you know arrogant little fighter that we 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 know and love but hopefully you're coming around to damien i i I love a good damien story so yeah
1: and there's definitely uh there's a there's a sniff of of highlander in here you know yeah if you if you want a a piece of entertainment that is about winning a prize and the prize is immortality or mortality as the case may be and uh, then that's what you're after you still have to watch that
0: so dear listener if you had keith mentions highland highlander on your coffee and heroes podcast bingo card you can mark that off now (laughs) also on that bingo card will be alan mentioning tom keen so the next title from dc this week uh strange adventures number 10 and it's a strange one, this, because I think it's actually hard to talk about strange adventures this far in without spoiling a lot of details for new readers. You know, we're we're definitely entering the end game, loyalties are being tested, more and more details are being revealed. I think I just I think we keep mentioning it because this is gonna be a fantastic trade read. I mean, Tom Keane is very much a long form comic writer. We we see it in Rorschach as well. You know, Rorschach started out a little slowly not sure where it was going and then it's just got better by the issue. And I think this is the same, you know, the, the art from Mitch Dreads and Evan Duck Shaner continues to be stellar as well. I mean, I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's, do you think it's better almost to read Tom Keane stuff in trades as opposed to single issues?
1: I'm starting to feel that way. I think, you know, Mr. Mr. Miracle, uh, vision certainly have worked better as, as trades for me. um, and that said I you know I, that's the only way i read them so i can't compare but strange adventures is definitely we're we're in we're in the end game now as dr strange said uh famously um and, and it is a long he's a long he's a long game player really really heating up last act mr terrific is hot on the trail of the truth whatever that truth may be and however horrible it may be and i think that's Part of this is the truth is different thing to different people which you know really i think i've, I've been looking i've been wondering how this was going to link into because tom king always sort of has something to say
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and how it was going to link into the world in which we live and the the post-truth society in which we live and how it was going to link to the idea of colonialism which is something that he talked about at the at the very very start and the, the great white hero uh and, and all of that and it's it's really starting to become apparent. i was disappointed at the start but now i can't wait for this to finish so i can go back and read it again because i think this is going to be equally up there with mr miracle and and, and vision sheriff babylon fantastic um so yeah it's and as you mentioned it's it's a great sister book for for rorschach which is equally weighty and equally convoluted and equally satisfying now we're coming close to the end <laughs> you know it's just it's it's it is absolutely like i don't know he, he i don't know i don't know what the metaphor is you know but it's it uh it's like he you're he, at the start you see the foundations and you think geez that's just a big dirty hole and well, it's not until he builds the house that you really start to to see the good of it you know um and then you appreciate the foundations because it's going to stand for longer oh yep. i did it i did it <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, that's it. It's just obviously a, as a comic store as well. And, you know, we certainly recommend books to people all the time. And, you know, Tom King hasn't really let me down yet, but it but sometimes it does feel a little cheap, almost on my part, to say, look, just stick with it. It gets better. So, you know, like when people say, watch this TV show. First couple of episodes are a little rocky, but then it hits its, you know, it hits its stride. And I think people are just so interested now in instant gratification and they've so yeah. much... Yeah. They have so much choice now that if something doesn't grab them immediately they move on to something else but between Strange Adventures and and as you say Rorschach I think Keen is just a master storyteller but it, yeah. he just, it, it seems that he needs that longer format almost I suppose but but yeah, if you're coming to this late, you know, pick up the trade as soon as it's released. Obviously, there's only two issues left in terms of single issues. You know, you'll, you know, pick it up and trade. You'll definitely not be disappointed. And you know, I just wanted to finish off by saying, what other title from the big two has one of the main characters sitting on the toilet reading social media reactions? I'll tell you what title does Strange Adventures.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, and I'd go further and say, you know, they'll both be finishing I think, in the same month. Rorschach and uh, and uh, Strange Adventures so pick up both trades yeah Uh, they're both fantastic and i it's funny because whenever we whenever these both of these first came out first issues come out we were both oh like like why why are neither of these picks picks of the week mm-hmm. why are we not you know and we should know we should know that that's not the way tom king does things just just trust and it'll all come out in the wash
0: that it uh, very much well so, yeah, so that's pretty much it for in, it, in terms of our DC Honourable Mentions for this week. So we'll jump on to a little bit of Marvel now. Uh, we'll kick things off with Better A Bill number three. This is number three of five. An argument to be made for cover of the week?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I think there's so much going on in, in the art in this book, and that in, includes the cover. Uh, it's just fantastic, <laughs> the, the idea of Better A Bill sitting there trying to super glue together Stormbreaker that was uh that was shattered by thor and and, and the shattering of that hammer took away Beta Ray Bill's ability to turn back into his normal humanoid form uh which of course is the at uh, the heart of this story
0: yeah just an excellent metaphor for what it's about, but also just a, a ridiculously charming image you know multiple tubes of super glue there duct tape, you have extension cords being pulled out, drills. <laughs> and, of course, a cup of coffee because this is going to be a long-term job. But, but yeah, this book just continues to be an absolute ton of fun. You know, for me, I was saying about how maybe I'm not reading as much Marvel at the moment, but this is definitely one of Marvel's best titles. And, and I think part of that might be the amount of freedom they've awarded Daniel Warren Johnson. You know, I felt this as well with Wonder Woman Dead Earth. It was very, very different to everything else DC were doing, and it stood out for that reason. And I think his storytelling style and his art are very different from maybe the more traditional Marvel house style, if if you mm-hmm, know what I mean.
1: Mm-hmm, yep.
0: You know, I mean, what other book would have a two-page sequence revolved around ping pong?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that was, I think that was great. I think that that scene was great. I think there's more going on here than 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 we than we maybe know. I mean, I think this is could maybe be described as Marvel's most metal book at the minute. Uh, which makes it a worthy successor for the previously most metal book at Marvel, which was Jason Aaron's Thor. Uh, and, you know, there, there's obviously this has come out of, of Donny Kate's Thor, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's great. And that, that, that's the idea. The idea is that, you know, I guess in the first issue, uh, Bill ended up sort of wooed by, by Lady Sif, but the expectation whenever she got him back to her room was that he was going to change it to his, more visually appealing uh, humanoid form and he couldn't and he was rejected and that sent him off in search of a new weapon that could transform him back along the way he's running to Odin, he's running to, uh, to the Executioner and Pip the Troll and, and so forth. Um, so it is a, a, they've traveled across the world and whenever I say metal this is a book that inclu- includes a new axe that has a mini thruster in the back so it can hit harder and a spaceship that's transformed into a destroyer to sail on and below the fiery lava seas of Muspelheim. So (laughs) there's, that's, I mean, if that's not metal, I don't know what (laughs) is, but I think there's a, there's also a heart. There's a real, real heart at the center of this book, you know, aside from the executioner's machine guns and so forth, you know, and all that, you know, crazy fire elf killing and so forth. Um, where scuttlebutt, which is Bill's trusty ship, his constant companion, as a result of travelling through the gate to to Mospelheim, has been personified in a female form that I think may just be in love with Bill, and uh, and I don't think he even has thought that, well, this is Scuttlebutt, this is my constant companion, uh, and she's now humanoid or, you know, at least android, and doesn't care what I look like. Mm-hmm. you know so there's a there's a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a fairy story in here as well i think what do you reckon
0: yeah i mean there's there's some sort of lovely scenes between the two of them you know there's there's a great scene where you know Skullbutt's asking i never asked why we came here you know what happened on asgard and bill says oh, i became aware of myself my real self kind of like you i suppose and then there's like this little moment of silence and then Skullbutt says why does that sound like a bad thing there's and again a lot of that expressiveness is to do with the art you know it's 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 portraying an awful lot in this book as well as as the dialogue as well and there seems to be a lot of yearning certainly on scuttlebutt's part but you know that's interspersed as you say with just some of the most metal action sequences you will see you know there's there's Depictions of violence here that have characters literally crying, saying "so beautiful," you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you psychopathic
1: know. characters, but yeah, <laughs> but, uh,
0: <laughs> you know Warren Johnson's style. I love, I love that he embraces the full comic format. You know, his sound effects are so over the top and loud and launch and fush and you know, it's it's just a really sort of old-fashioned style of comic book storytelling. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I do wonder: is there a deeper story here about? You know, people becoming working to become happy with who they are rather than changing themselves. Yeah. Cosmetically, and still not being happy with who they are. You know, I don't know. There's yeah, a, there's there's something in there. But yeah, this is. It seems like a real, seems like a real, as I say, metal book. But if you start to look a wee bit deeper at it, if you scratch the surface a wee bit, I think yeah. there's 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 something a wee bit more going on here. Yeah, great book. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you got me onto it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I have to recommend one Marvel title to you for the 20 you recommend well to me, so <laughs> has to be done sometimes, but yeah, just a big, epic, ambitious book, lots of heart to it as well, a lot of big ideas. Uh, and the world building's fantastic. Really, highly recommend it. As I say, it's going to be five issues in total, but the the single issues are still you know easily attainable enough. So again, if it appeals to you, let us know. Uh, the other book that we thought was a good honorable mention and a nice uh, little discussion to have from Marvel is also number number three, but this is Alien number three. So the first couple of Alien books, I think we are in agreement; they have pretty much delivered. You know, we were slightly wary going in. We didn't fully know what to expect, but You know, for me, along with Conan, this is probably the most adult book that Marvel's currently putting out. And by issue three, the setup is done, characters are all introduced, it's time to cut loose on the story. And boy, this issue definitely delivers. So it does. Uh, There's twists and turns, there's double crossing, there's a ridiculously brilliant, like I would have loved to have, you know. I I imagine Philip Kenny Johnson laughing to himself as he's writing this uh, This scene but there's this brilliant tense scene where they essentially use a a chest bursting alien as a countdown mechanism to get someone to hurry up talking which is just unbelievably great (laughs) some uh, gruesome action you know there's some really good emotional moments in it as well there's a wee small moment early on when the alien attacks and one of the space marines is about to be gobbled up and he sort of goes don't man i I, i'm not ready it's like i'm not ready to die you know Mm -hmm. in that moment uh brilliant cliffhanger ending as well with with this issue that really has me excited for issue four which
1: i believe is out this week um, oh,
0: you're digging this as well aren't you
1: oh i'm absolutely loving it i feel like they teased this for the first two issues and they just dropped the bomb in this one uh it's it's xenomorphs front and center like it it's it's almost like yeah uh, you know what they've gone from alien to aliens mm-hmm you know alien was a that's, wee bit more that's
0: a good comparison yeah yeah it's, it's a uh, slow building intense and now we're getting yeah. the,
1: the action or the, yes yeah. absolutely xenomorphs chestbursters paranoia and uh and i think they, they're starting to add things that maybe we we haven't seen in the alien universe before mm-hmm. uh you know these uh these creatures that have these marks across their face and this guy who has the marks across his face and what that means to our, our main character who is an entirely new character in the alien universe and the, the close-up you see of the alien is mad because you kind of really get to see the, the techno techno organic nature of it mm-hmm. you know these very much aren't natural creatures by any stretch of the imagination they're almost they're almost bio biomechanical you know they're and just so often whenever you see aliens they're they're moving about and they're skidding about or you're you're seeing them in your face but just seeing it you're like oh God right okay but yeah this is this is a great book it Salvador La Roca's art is brilliant and Philip Kennedy Johnson who I fell in love with on the last God is is the perfect choice really interesting to see the one in the dark as what this is starting to be revealed who the who this possible hybrid is I don't know but there's this can go all sorts of ways, and I don't doubt I don't doubt that it will. So, uh, yeah, great great use of the license, I think. Uh, very very good, and as you say, that little uh, that little uh, cliffhanger linking back to the movies there uh, at the end um, was very very good. So, most enjoyable.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're an Alien fan of any of any note at all, this is definitely worth jumping on to. I know that Dark Horse did a lot of great Alien stuff as well. I personally haven't been privy to a lot of it, but. This just ties brilliantly into those those first two movies, and I think that is actually a really good comparison. The first two issues so far were a bit bit slower, a little bit more considered, maybe all about building tension a la Alien, but yeah, we've definitely kicked into Aliens and Space Marines and Action and Gore and all the rest yeah, of Aliens. Yeah, and I mean,
1: there, there was a the concern that Marvel, you know, having the license would maybe disney it a wee bit, but certainly that's not the case in the comics at all and they're they're adding something really nice to the to the canon and uh, because they now have the canon you know so uh yes it's very very good very good wholeheartedly agree so that was alien
0: number three so that'll do it in terms of marvel honorable mentions we'll jump on a little bit of indie love first of all uh you'd mentioned a little earlier that you'd picked up a graphic novel this week i was really happy to see you jump on to this you know uh one of the most surprising but brilliant
1: closes to a first arc story I've read in years. So what are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about, we live volume one, which covers the first five issues of, uh, the, the, the aftershock series, uh, by the Miranda brothers. Uh, never, never, I don't think I've ever read anything by them before, but it is a beautiful book. It was, it's absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the writers were Anaki Miranda and Roy Miranda, and Anaki Miranda was the the artist, and Eva Dela Cruz uh, deserves a shout out as a colorist on it as well, because totally, totally pops, totally original, um, completely heartrending, and geez, a, an ending to the first arc that was totally out of the blue, totally out of the blue. It's it's set in the year 2084, and the world has been racked with these calamities and there's monsters all over the place. And the last remaining humans, I guess are, are, are having a bit of a rough time of it. And earth has sent a message apparently from, from space, apparently from alien overseers uh, and a, a countdown starts today because it's extinction of all humanity. But the hope comes in the message that 5,000 children will be rescued by these people who, these aliens who sent the message to live a new life in the star. So our protagonists here are Hototo, one of the lucky 5,000, uh, and his teenage sister, Tala, and she has to deliver him to the nearest beacon uh, before time runs out. It's, oh, it's, I wasn't expecting it. It's so, so colorful and and beautiful. So I wasn't expecting the violence when it happened. Uh, totally different take on an apocalypse. And, uh, you know, there's, there's hope. And then somehow corporate bastards managed to screw it up <laughs> and, and it just uh it uh it's so good it's great characters and uh great sort of villains that are a wee bit sort of a wee bit noctera movie uh and and a wee bit um last of us
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as well so yeah just just brilliant just this is five issues just Pick it up. Pick up the trade paperback. It's not. It's not badly priced either. Um, and I think, geez, I think we're going to be seeing more from this particular world. In fact, if you if you read the back matter in this uh, in this trade, uh, you you find that that hopefully will be the case. And the other awesome thing about this book was the QR codes throughout it
0: for the music uh, to oh, listen to. For the,
1: yeah, the yeah. music, the the album or the EP that was specifically composed and uh, what they did with the. The panel, so I took the time to scan every one of those at the time, and and watch the the you know the I guess the YouTube video and listen to the song, uh, and it just really expanded my you know that augmented reality or or multimedia experience of the book. So yeah, very very good, very good indeed. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit,
0: maybe uh, maybe more in sort of format I suppose than uh, any sort of storytelling, but reminded me a little bit of Firepower, that Prelude graphic novel. Because uh-huh. you basically get this this wonderfully told story, but it then ends in a way that sets up something completely different. And I just remember being blown away by the fifth issue of this when it hit, because I'd been enjoying it until then. It was charming characters the whole way through as well. Really beautiful art, really good world building. And then it just goes off in a completely different way that was wholly original. But at the same time, it it was jarring to a degree, but it also felt earned, if that makes sense. So... Yeah, big, big fan of this. As, as Keith says, Trades are available now, uh, Volume 1, and I think we'll definitely be seeing more of it. Uh, another title that certainly stood out this week, uh, another one that always goes high up your list, is Chariot Number 3. So this is from AWA Studios, written by Brian Edward Hill, art by Priscilla Petratis. Uh For me, this is the equivalent of a popcorn movie. It is very fast-paced, gorgeous-looking, some great world-building. And very very cool. Uh, another home run of a title for AWA. You usually have more to say about this than me.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you if it's a popcorn title for me, it's it's popcorn with chili sprinkled on it. Uh, you know, which <laughs> is does, which that's... is a it's a good way to try popcorn. Give oh. it a give it a word, give it a word. Um, it's uh, it, it works well. Now, this is this is the middle issue of Brian Edward Hill's amazing five issue '80s throwback synth wave thriller uh, about. A car that has an, a, an on-board AI. That that AI is uh, the ghost, the digital ghost of of a spy from the from the '80s, and uh, she has teamed up with uh, with Jim, who's a a, a down and out dad, a guy who can't make the right decisions, uh, but who tries to do his best for for his kid, uh, and also for his 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 ex partner, who features very very heavily in this, um, and she she's a fantastic character too, but this is the middle issue and it's kind of the turnaround a wee bit, you know, he, in a couple of ways, you know, as Jim, Jim makes a shift as the, as the, 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 the car, she effectively gives him a minute and then she's going to download everything that she knows as a super spy, uh, into his head. But we have a, geez, we have some moments where we're starting to see her ruthlessness. Uh, we're starting to see how ruthless she is and, 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 uh, exactly what it is she wants to do we're also seeing the the antagonist here is her sister who you know has been has been waiting for her to return for 40 years because she wants the technology the aa technology that has has kept uh the the, the spy alive again i just cannot cannot quite uh get her name but uh yeah so it's a, it's a sniff of night rider and, and 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 that sort of stuff in there and just uh, her sister, who is her arch enemy. We see a little bit of, we see a little bit of that backstory, and uh, the sister has a hold of uh, of, of Jim's son and is, is using him as as leverage here. So we're getting towards the end game here as well. And I just think, Alan, that there's so much world and story being built here that this could support way more than five issues. Um, this is this is easily again among my top sort of three issues of the week Uh, every week it's released it's so good and it looks so good
0: Yeah, we like to think that that, uh, as with other awa titles if these titles do well there's always a volume one then a volume two then so on and so forth and obviously the world building here is great you get the main character built up into a spy himself and there's no reason not to continue with his further Mm. adventures so to speak so yeah just it's a lot of fun as i say it's 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 very entertaining effortlessly cool and and again that'll be hitting trade very soon but as keith says they, they, they've conveyed an awful lot in a short space of time but at the same time there's only two issues to go so yeah chariot number three of five from awa studios next up we have our monthly check-in with the department of truth so james tinian and martin simmons love letter to the x-files i like to think of it of this was an exceptionally wordy issue. Uh, there is a lot to digest here, to say the <laughs> least. I think it may benefit from a second read, which is not always the easiest thing when your pull list is as big as ours.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is It is a big issue. It hops between 1987, and, and the main character here is Hawk Harrison, uh, who we're starting to see how the department of truth works through his his devious mind he's the fixer you know he makes things he makes things happen he manipulates uh situations and perceptions in order to make sure that people believe the things that they need to believe and enough of them do so that reality doesn't change uh you know with that with that belief so we're starting to understand not just how the department of truth works but why it works uh, and what it's for, um, and yeah, I, I I love this. I absolutely loved it. I loved uh, I loved Hawk Harrison's. We've got Cole, who's the, the the character who we've been introduced to from the start, the new agent of the the Department of Truth, and his concerns. And we've got the the very you know the narrator. Therefore, is he's the you know Cole's the P, the point of view character, whereas Hawk is the abrasive narrator and i don't know you you kind of get the impression that he likes cole that he's maybe grooming him for something but he also plays a large part in cole's history which is being revealed now through the what happened with a star-faced man
0: yeah i mean it's they've an interesting dynamic the whole way through this issue because there's there's clearly respect there and then even at the end you know he almost anoints cole as the you know, you're the one that'll succeed. Where you know, I feel it's almost like he's a successor in a way. But he's, he's also exceptionally mean to him the whole way through. He makes lots of jabs to him about you know his, uh, his sexual orientation, for example, his sexual preference. Mm-hmm. You know, he even calls him at one point the most boring queen alive. But I think, I think that's just maybe a way of showing how, how quickly different generations have grown apart. You know, Hawks, maybe what. 20 years older maybe 30 years older than Cole mm-hmm. but but based on how fast the world has moved in the last 30 years their their opinions and their their demeanor couldn't be any further apart so it might just be a little bit of a take on that but mm-hmm. yeah there was just there was so much to digest in this I mean the the art the whole way through I thought was was oh. was pretty damn wonderful uh,
1: <laughs> The uh do you think do you think Hawk is a reliable or an unreliable narrator I, in a title called The Department of
0: Truth, I can't help but feel he is an unreliable narrator.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, it's an unreliable story because reality is unreliable, isn't
0: it? Very much so. So it's it's another title, Department of Truth, that my only worry for it is that it becomes so heavy almost in the same way. We've talked a little bit about a, a series like Die, for example, that has so many moving parts, so many characters, so much going on that i do worry at some points that i may get slightly lost in it and it may again read better in long form storytelling but i'm definitely going to give this issue another read even though again my my pull list is as big as it is but i just feel like maybe i've missed something in this issue and maybe just that it, it, it warrants a second reading just to maybe pick it up
1: i mean i i I don't think I've missed anything, I spent a fair bit of time on this issue. I was totally engrossed in it. The idea of, uh, you know, so Hawk is explaining to uh, to Cole about connections and metaphors, and and right the way through history, how those things have power and how those things shape the way we think, and therefore those those deep those 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 deeply ingrained uh, ideals and what they're linked to by, by manipulating the things they're linked to, we can, we can manipulate the reality of, of, of the people that believe those things. It's it's so, it's so good. And it it comes all the way up through, you know, the Pharaohs and the, I guess the occult societies and Christians and uh, Christianity co opt and how they co-opted different ideals because they knew it would, make it easier to control the people whose ideals they were co opting and how you know the devil and the freemasons and and all of this sort of stuff it pulls in a whole lot of stuff in it i think it has a wee nod towards q and on and all that all that stuff as well so it's yes it's it's as you say very wordy so much going on uh excellent excellent stuff and i think we're we're going to be addressing Bigfoot next month
0: very much so based on that little uh in that little preview at the back so
1: but uh yeah i do love i do love what uh what james Tennant is doing with this and how he, how he is unveiling you know the big picture mm-hmm. uh, very very good stuff it's it's <laughs> it it manages to embrace conspiracy theory while still making a nonsense out of them <laughs> uh which i think is very very clever
0: yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, that is Department of Truth number nine. So, just as we had our monthly check-in with Department of Truth, we had our monthly check-in with Something is Killing the Children. If you haven't listened to us already, it is now time to jump on to this. The first three trades are available, and the publish even the publishers actually say this is a jumping-on point. I'm not sure how much I agree with that. I think that you, you kind of need those first 15 issues, but again the the trades are available in store but the reason they're saying this is a jumping on point because this is the beginning of the origin of erica slaughter and one of the things i thought while reading this was this this arc has a better call saul feel to it you know in that we know how horrible erica's life is going to turn out to be but that doesn't mean the story can't be a turn surprising and compelling getting through that as well you know there's amazing art by wer Della dare the whole way through this 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 might be the best looking issue so far I think uh, in terms of the expressiveness of the eyes the whole way through yeah. it in terms of you know conveying emotion through the art rather than just through the dialogue
1: the the hopelessness yeah, I mean, of it's...
0: some of the situations it's just a oh, beautiful beautiful this actually might be my favorite issue so far
1: yeah I mean it's the story we've been waiting for it's you know the how erica slaughter became erica slaughter so i mean her origin and the origin of her mysterious totem octo uh and her induction and i guess our induction into the order of saint george and the house of slaughter um so it's part one of the new york it's me and my monster and it's yeah i mean it's 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 great tone for the for new york it's absolutely fantastic we we meet a uh, very young erica just after her family are slaughtered by a monster and she's uh, she's taken in by one of the uh, by one of the order of of saint george who apparently contains the monster in octo and then puts him in a Tupperware uh to shut him up um so we're origin we're, we're starting to learn things already like the fact that you know she's not welcome she's an outsider um the fact that the the individual who inducts her is kind of a rebel with regard to the, the house of or the, or the order of saint george you know uh can nearly a... uh i don't know who you would compare her to but and that whenever they arrive they have to wear the color of a ma- of mask that uh, reflects the person who's inducting them so in this case Eric ends up with a black mask and whenever she qualifies it will be given teeth uh so that's we're already learning stuff yeah you know i'm i am almost frightened to find out what made erica into the damaged monster hunting expert we've come to know over the past 15 issues and obviously i think the the death of her family uh killed by the creature that now lives in her teddy is only part of it i think what she's going to experience in the order of st george is is very much the rest of it we meet a young aaron who we know uh was killed in the previous arc uh so we're we're, we're seeing characters who we we know their fate their final fate already um but yeah this is this was great great yeah just another brilliant installment,
0: another great example you know we talk as well about efficiency of storytelling you know there's there's not one wasted page or panel in this and it's, it's atmospheric as and creepy as hell all the way through it. There's this great double page spread of you know obviously being taken to the house of slaughter and it's just this really eerie looking you know just in the Ooh. middle of suburbia at the same time or in the middle of Chicago, no less yeah, just brilliant brilliant book again, we cannot keep saying this enough. we've been saying it since issue one is two years two, two years. years this is one of the best things out there in comic land so jump on it whether it's singles or trades or whatever you know there is a really beautiful actually uh, hardcover coming soon as well but don't wait that long just jump on the trades so yeah something that's killing the children reaching issue 16 there something I very much had read was Philadelphia 13 so Just like with Something is Killing the Children, this is another one of our favourite horror series which makes its return this week. And once again, it is another very welcome return. Great art as always, you know, finely tuned storytelling with Killadelphia, great world building and and an already established nightmare world becomes even darker. Uh, Mm, Kicks off the really great scene in a confession booth, which I thought just set the tone really, really well. Uh, the first two trades of course are available all of this if you want to play catch up and then jump on the singles this is the start of arc three and again it's another one we just can't recommend
1: enough so
0: yeah Philadelphia.
1: yeah i mean I, I as i say as you said it's it's the return of of Philadelphia. it's been gone for uh for a few months and this is the the start of a uh, new arc. it's i don't know you could cross between interview with a vampire and the wire something along those lines maybe if i'd seen
0: the wire i might be able to agree with you
1: you should see the wire. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've we've got the return. We've got the new arc. The return of the original antagonist, uh, the second president of the U.S., John Adams, which enrages the current antagonist, his wife, uh, his undead wife, Abigail, and we also have the introduction of a third party, uh, Thomas Jefferson, the undead third president of the United States. And uh, we'll see how that goes. So this is a a total status quo shaker. Uh, while also continuing directly on from the previous issue and with regard to what's to what's going on in the in the in the sangster family uh between uh, sangster senior and sangster junior uh after the last issue will not uh will not sort of go into but uh yeah this is really this has really changed things around i don't know don't know how things are gonna land on that you know as uh well i guess at this stage we can we can say that that uh, both father and son are uh or vampireized? Would that be uh, Would that be fair to say? Yeah, very much so. I mean, he's, he's,
0: at least now he won't interrupt his dad when he's actually trying to you know go into the afterlife to meet his mother again. You know, he'll he'll understand the the darkness of this life moving forward. So yeah, and, uh... just great great title, Philadelphia. I mean, we we obviously chatted before with you know two separate pods. Actually, we chatted with writer Rodney Barnes. We chatted with the artist Jason Sean Alexander and. This is a title that you can just feel the love emanating from the page as well. This is that that's love. They are heavily invested in this.
1: <laughs> I mean, that final there's page a, was horrifying.
0: There's a thin line between love and hate, Keith. A thin line, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the the backstory, the Elysium Gardens backstory, uh, has hit uh, six six parts, uh, and uh, you know it's 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 starting to, I think, get close to uh, to to crossing over a little bit. Uh, with with what's happening here so yeah this is this is a it's probably as good a jumping on point as you're going to get issue 13 so we're uh, say two trades two arcs deep Um, but pick up those two uh, those two trades and then get on this from the single issues and I uh, say so if you do want more information it was episode 117 we interviewed Rodney Barnes and episode 133 we interviewed uh, Jason Sean Alexander both Both lovely, lovely folks, uh, and uh, we look forward to chatting to them again a little further down the
0: line, maybe. I'd say so. Hopefully we'll get them together next time so that, you know, we can get rid of that he said, she said dynamic that they shared by interviewing them separately, you know, so... And then just one last indie one to throw up as an honorable mention. This is uh, The Old Guard, Tales Through Time, number two. So The Old Guard, of course, is a long-term favorite of the pod. Uh, we, we, we've chatted about it before. We've recommended it before. This is a, a slightly different format in a way. This is essentially a an anthology uh, format, which is collecting uh, various stories throughout time. Uh, this is clearly... Being utilized, I think, is a little bit of a gap filler while they move on to The Old Guard, Volume 3. But this is no mere gap filler. This is a brilliant format. It's a really good way of filling in backstory without compromising the series' the series present-day narrative. You've got different creators on every story each time. So for this one, we are treated to two individual stories, one called Bonsai Shokunen, which is written by Kelly Sudaconic and art by Valentin Delandro. And then we also have a title, uh, sorry, a second story called Strong Medicine, written by Eric Troutman and art by Mike Henderson. So I was looking forward to this one, especially just because I'm a big fan of Mike Henderson, artist on Nailbiter, along with Joshua Williamson. And not only that, in this, it is a cowboy-based story. So what did you think of this? I'm guessing you probably preferred to hear, uh, story one to story two?
1: Uh, no. No? I, I I, liked them both. I thought they were both beautiful stories. Um, I mean, this is... Obviously the, the the whole thing of Old Guard is these are a group of immortals. In the modern day they're mercenaries, they fought together, experienced all sorts of war and violence, and you know, in the modern day they use they take the big bucks to help those in need. Uh so this is sort of discovering something more about each of the characters or the characters around at different points in history. But uh the first one, the Kelly Sudeconic story follows Noriko, who was uh Andy's, uh, I guess, one of Andy's loves, uh, and and had a bit of a tragic, uh, a bit of a tragic story, and also I think featured in the in the in the movie, didn't she? But um, but uh, sometimes I get the comics in the movie mixed up in my head. But because uh, they were such good adaptations of one another, but it's it's set in feudal Japan. I can see why you would automatically assume that I love yeah. this because of the the feudal Japan martial arts samurai sort of sort of culture and. I thought what she did here, so we've got the idea of this, uh, this aging as uh, old samurai, you know, he's he's trimming the, the bonsai tree and I guess it's comparing, you know, as he trims the branches off the bonsai tree, he's comparing it to the, I guess the lives that he's trimmed in service of his Lord. And there's some real fantastic, but what they really do is the immortal character who you would expect to be the main character isn't, you know, she's Noriko isn't the main character. It's the the samurai, and it's just his experiences with Noriko uh, throughout the edges, and then his final experience with Noriko that that makes the story. Um, but I, I mean, I, I I love the Wild West as well, and uh, that I think the that one had the the edge for me a wee bit. What yeah,
0: I mean, I I love the whole idea that the the the, the Wild West story is basically. Set around the idea of uh, these gunslingers trying to use doctors to bring a, it's his son, isn't it, back to life, and brother. <laughs> his brother, sorry, and I love that that's taken place in the presence of an actual immortal, which I just think's really sort of darkly funny. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm a big, big fan of the artist here, and I think he needs to jump onto a Wild West title at the earliest possible, uh, at the earliest yeah, possible time.
1: The... I'd be down with that. I mean, it's, I loved the story. I loved it. So we had set in 1870 and the character we're following his book, uh, Sebastian, uh, and he's passing through uh, the town of Gothic, Colorado. And uh, as you say, he runs a phone of these outlaws that are mourning their dead brother and causing trouble at the same time. And they, I guess, find out just how difficult it is to kill an immortal. Uh, but we also, I thought what was really cool was you get to see an example of how the immortals actions through history you know, reflect, you know, into the future because I don't know if you noticed Alan, but uh on the uh on the, the last page uh the uh the doctor drives away on his cart. The doctor, the healer that that book saved from hanging
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh drives away in his cart and his uh his cart says Professor Milford Merrick. Uh now if you're uh, if you're familiar with the the old guard uh you'll uh, you'll recall who who merrick was in the old guard yes no fill me in uh merrick was uh merrick was the doctor uh that uh that was slicing the guys up
0: ah. uh, trying to
1: find out their uh trying to find out you know what, trying to made, find their... out what made them immortal essentially. yes exactly uh so that's you know, obviously what, what happened here. Those stories echo through history and we now understand how The Doctor America, came to know, yeah. Yes, exactly, you know, through Copley and, and, and all of that stuff. But yeah, I thought that was I thought that was brilliant. But I also enjoyed just the the scenes, the, the in the first story the the, the scenes how how Valentin Delandro has, has pr- portrayed, you know, the samurai and his actions and how he was first put down and it was first put down and, and Noriko had mercy on him whenever he was a child, whenever he was a young man. And then, you know, he, he, he kills, he kills her, he cheats and kills her. Uh, and then throughout the ages variously she's involved in battles and he kills her and he kills her again and again without, without maybe realizing it's her. Uh, and then maybe finally he does realize and, uh, uh, it was just such a—it was just such a great story. Uh, really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed this. I thought, I thought, uh, the old guard not written by, by, by Greg Rucka, not, uh, not, not illustrated by uh, Leandro Fernandez, was going to be hard. But this is this is class. I look forward to this every issue, and uh, it's a six
0: issue mini, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah uh six issues in total and then a variety of different writers and artists Mm -hmm. i mean yeah that's that's a great bit of writing actually at the end now that you've pointed that bit out just because as the doctor goes off the first thing he promises for his life being saved is at the very least sir i can offer my discretion which he obviously doesn't because he tells Uh people about it yes Uh and then the last line is it would be a hell of a story to tell my grandchildren so that's uh Uh that's very clever very clever Uh so yeah that's the end of issue two for that one and then again it's different creators each issue so for issue three hitting june 23rd we have a story written by brian michael bendis and art by michael avan oeming and takisoma so that's essentially the the team that made powers and then you have a story by robert Mackenzie and david walker and justin Greenwood. so another one to look forward to there but yeah just i love the format as i say the the worry is that you know, you can the modern book can suffer if you do too many flashbacks and this kind of thing. But this is a good way of filling in backstory without compromising. You know what you're setting oh. up in the modern world. So,
1: and yeah. I have to say that that final, that final uh, issue of the tri- final story of the trilogy of of Old Guard that's coming soon from the original Old Guard team, is my most anticipated story in comics at the minute I'm really really looking forward to that seeing how seeing how the, the story ends for our Immortals
0: and those are very big words right there so yeah that is the Old Guard Tales Through Time number two and that is the end of the Honourable Mentions so outside of that we'll always go for a couple of picks of the week so uh, I did think that the Marvel Honourable Mentions were a little light you were clearly saving the best to last for yourself without that
1: That is true. Uh, My pick of the week uh, this week is uh, X-Men number 20. Uh, It is uh, by Jonathan Hickman as uh, he winds up his his run on X-Men and uh, the art was by Francesco Mobili, uh, Sonny Go on Colors. So this is, as I say, this is the penultimate issue, Hickman's penultimate issue of X-Men before he hands the title over to uh, Jerry very careful and uh, well-earned hands of Jerry Duggan, who's been doing great work on on Marauders and on the uh, the Hellfire Gala. And, I mean, I would say, you could say that Hickman, the biggest criticism of, of, of Hickman is maybe focusing sometimes on the big ideas too much, forgetting about specific character beats and, and that sort of thing. And I don't necessarily think that's a fair criticism, especially when you're reading the likes of Decorum, where he's, he's focusing very well on, on characters. But this issue of X-Men he finds brilliantly a way to do both. Um, it's it's a real uh, gut punch about family and grief and killer robots. And it ties up another loose end of uh, Hickman's run on the book, as I say, which is, is coming to a close. Does a great job on this chapter, but he's also done a great job on the last two chapters. And it's hard to say which ones are the best. I'd highly recommend pick up uh, 18 and 19 as well. So Mystique is at the core of this book. Uh, she has failed again. Magneto and Xavier are still stringing her along. Uh, and it's it's great to see how this, this plot line develops. So the key to Mystique here is Mystique's drive is that she wants to see her wife, Destiny, resurrected. But of course, we know from, uh, from uh, House of X and Powers of X that the thing that can't happen is destiny cannot be resurrected because we know about the many futures of moira mctaggart the many lives of moira mctaggart and you know that what's happening in Krakoa is just is just one of those timelines and uh, xavier and, and and magneto and the hidden moira mctaggart can't the the future can't be revealed or, or everything would everything would fall apart so they're they're going to continue to string her along and she doesn't know that the art uh by uh I say Francesco Mobilis is absolutely fantastic. It's almost almost perfect. Uh and it, it almost feels like whenever you read these issues, it almost feels like if if Hickman didn't feel the need to jump into maybe crossovers and tie ins, and that's not a criticism because I love the crossovers and tie ins that there were other things that he that he could have done with this book it feels like a return to the to the core tenant of the of the promise of 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 house and powers. um and it's yeah it's really it's really it's really really awesome so we have we have mystique returning to the orcus forge which was the uh, i guess the the center of the conspiracy against mutants the human conspiracy against mutants uh that that started the x- men uh that started the story. And it revolves around her quest to destroy Nimrod and get Destiny back. Forge is in here; he builds some weapons for her and has a great scene. Uh, you know, he, he builds her—I uh, guess—effectively a, a small nuke that would destroy the Orcus, the Orcus Forge. And uh, we, you know, we have the bad guys. So the, the, I guess the anti-mutant conspiracy up in the in space, revolving around the sun and the Orcus Forge, and uh, Aaliyah Gregor's. The doctor who is at the centre of the I guess this conspiracy and their technology. Her husband has been killed. Her husband Erasmus has been killed in a previous mutant attack, and she has input his mind into Nimrod. Now I don't know Alan if you're familiar with Nimrod. Not overly. uh, In in X Men Mythos, Nimrod is the ultimate evolution of the Sentinel, and the creation of Nimrod. Is a bad thing. Do you remember Powers of X? The Nimrod Sentinel was in charge of, of all of this. So, so that's where that is all going to go. So, so yeah. So the, the I guess Erasmus's mind is in the body of Nimrod, and uh, but it's a, it's a triumph that's cut short as as Mystique is detected. She's able to set off the bomb, but Nim- Nimrod duplicates, saves the life of his wife, uh but in doing so, one of the duplicates is killed, and that destroys, I guess, half of his mind. Uh, and and leaves Nimrod the uh, the cold hearted AI that Sentinel that, that he is. So it's yeah, I mean, just whenever whenever Hickman gets down to gets down to the I guess the the brass tacks of it, it's absolutely amazing. And as I say, this is right back to the House of X Powers of X stuff, and just as as it's fantastic, it's Forge gets a brilliant speech about technology and the human proclivity to make excuses for our destructive tendencies, and that fits back into the book later. Uh, Alia Gregor has created this method of resurrection, resurrecting her husband, that is a, a dark mirror of of what the mutants are doing on Krakoa, you know, but they're using technology instead of, I guess, mutation and, and, and Krakoan technology. So it's it's just, it's a really fantastic moment, but there's, uh, so there's a lot of, you know, with the the relationship between Aaliyah and Erasmus and the, the creation of, of of Nimrod. There's a lot of real, fantastic, emotional beats. Xavier and Magneto just pulling one over on My- Mystique. You almost, you you kind of hate them a wee bit. You know these uh, architects of Krakoa and and the 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 New Mutant future. You, you, you really kind of you kind of hate them. But there's a there's a line at the end. Uh, Doctor Doctor Devo who is the the head of of, of Orcus. He's been watching Nimrod and, and he gets a great moment as well. He's talking to the Omega Sentinel after the death, after after Forge's destruction and uh, the destruction of Forge's weapon and so forth. And he comes to the realization that with everything the mutants are doing, the all the bluster and bravado, that they hate humanity and they fear humanity. And that is fantastic because if you remember the the original the old line that uh the x-men were mutants who were fighting against who were fighting for a world that hates and fears them uh and now we have mutants hating and fearing humanity so it's it's a real it was a real expert hickman issue and uh it finishes with the first appearance of uh moira since house and powers of x and uh we're we're looking at at the same time it's against the backdrop of of something that destiny told mystique He said there will be an island not the first but the last because previously utopia was a was an x-men island this place will seem to be the hope of our kind when those days come remember these words bring me back and if you cannot if they will not then burn that place to the ground and uh that's one of destiny's many predictions and then it finishes with uh it finishes with a coming this fall, Inferno, which of course is a is the, the title of an old X Men story that involved hell coming to coming to earth and the mutants fighting it. But it makes me wonder now if if uh, we're we're seeing Hickman's final plan, you know, is is if destiny isn't resurrected, is, is Mystique going to burn the place down around their ears? What you know, it's it's so exciting and I wonder I wonder is this why Hickman's stepping away, is because he's he's planning this big this big inferno event uh, uh, for the for the autumn but uh, yeah great uh, great issue one of my favorite issues of x-men so far it has been a strong book but these last three issues have been have been really strong the next issue will be part of the hellfire gala and we'll see the announcement of the new x team and uh jerry duggan will move forward from there but i sincerely hope that hickman continues to be the head of x and we continue to see the plan that he's laid down so expertly uh develop
0: excellent i mean when it comes to x-men and so forth i just found it a little bit not x-men itself but just the whole x-line a little tough to keep up with so i've sort of stuck to trades and stuck to omnibuses and compendiums and stuff like that so the upcoming hellfire gal i'll certainly be jumping into in that way i'll be curious to see what happens with x-men number one with jerry dugan i mean is that going to be a a completely self-contained book or are they still all going to link very closely together
1: the way they do at the moment I think they will continue to. We're we're looking at it. It's a new paradigm for X-Men. You know, the idea they're 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 on Krakoa. It's Hickman has has resurrected this line. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's taken what was the biggest selling books that have dropped off that have now become great books again. You know, so I, I I do think they'll very much continue along this along this this line. But yeah, I mean, it's not it's not necessary. I think Hellfire Gala will demonstrate this. It's not necessary to read all the X books. Uh, in order to understand them you can you can read your favorites but it's yeah it's it's just done such a great job of of reinvigorating this this line i'm looking forward to to what comes next and yeah the the hellfire gala stuff that i've read so far has been brilliant one night from so many different points of view
0: excellent so case pick of the week then for 26th of may was x-men number 20 and it's interesting that you ended by saying it was uh, all about one fateful night as that will lead to my pick of the week, seamless. It's almost like I planned it. <laughs> so, yeah, so my pick of the week this week is a title from AWA Studios. It's uh, Casual Fling, issue 4 of 4. So we come to the end of my porn book, as Patty of this parish likes to refer to it as. And for me, it did not disappoint. This was a title that went straight to the top of my pile every time it came out. Uh, it's written by Jason Starr and art by Dalibor Talahitch. It's very much adult storytelling at its best. It's, as I say, it's another product of the AWA production line, and it is another brilliantly told, self-contained story. You know, I always like to recommend different titles, different genres. You know, I, I, We always talk about in Coffee and Heroes a lot that there is a comic for everyone. Not everything has to be superhero universes. Not everything has to be a zombie book. There really is a story for everyone, and Casual Fling is about as far removed from a superhero story as comics could possibly be. It's an adult thriller about power, sex, and also how privacy no longer exists in the modern world. The main character we follow is uh, called Jennifer, who seemingly has the perfect life, you know, a loving family, a a high-paying job in a law firm. But all of this is thrown into doubt and under threat after a one-night stand. Of course, the problem with the modern world is everybody has a camera, everyone has a phone, everyone can record anything at a moment's notice. And because of this footage exists of her infidelity and if she doesn't pay her blackmailer a large sum of money they will destroy her personal and professional life. So by issue 4 which is the uh, the concluding issue of this series Jennifer is looking to turn the tables on her blackmailer. She's found out a little bit more about them. She's found out about different aliases they've used to this point. She's found out that this is not their first time. But because this is not their first time you know are they already prepared for her and whatever she's going to try and do as a return plan you know, can she somehow make it out of the situation and salvage some of her old life, or is this, you know, going to be a title It's all about a ma- being a massive cautionary tale? It was just really tightly plotted, it introduced interesting characters, and it actually had something to say about, about relationships, whether, you know, long-term or fleeting. You know, I, I mentioned Dalapour Talahic, you know, the art is consistent all the way through, it's it 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 simultaneously shows sort of the seductive side of power and the high life and the single life and that kind of thing but it's also able to capture sort of the everyday magic of being part of a family you know it's it's just it's another excellent genre title from awa comics and there was recent news about uh, them forming awa studios which is going to be used for movie adaptations and this would definitely be a contender for that you know it will be hitting trade very very soon and you know, it comes really highly recommended, it provides a really welcome distraction from the worlds of spandex, well, a different kind of spandex anyway, (laughs) so, just can't recommend enough, just a really cool, well-told adult story, Uh, I'm sorry I can't go into it in the the same amount of depth and love that Keith has for the the revered X-Men universe, but it's a story very much, it's a bit twisty, a bit turny, The, the sort of less you know going into it, the better, but awa are just knocking it out of the park for me at the moment you know they're they're genre stories they're well-worn tropes and well-worn tales but they're approached with you know good creators they're approached with earnestness and and again there's something for everyone you know if it's not the adult thriller of you know casual fling it's steampunk western of redemption or it's horror of year zero or it's superhero uh-huh. building of resistance you know it's it's a really, really great label, and this is actually genuinely one of my favorites from it so far. So keep an eye for the trade for it, guys. If it if it sounds like your kind of thing, because it's just a really, really well told story. So, uh, yeah, casual fling number four for me for my pick of this week. So uh, you can now read the porn book, Patty, if you're listening. <laughs> so that brings an end to the reviews then for the 26th of May releases. So the next show we're going to be doing is going to be covering the 2nd of June. So. We always like to finish off with what were the three titles we were looking forward to most. This might be a slight cheat because we may have already read them. Spoiler. Uh, (laughs) But the titles I was looking forward to most for me this week were uh, Batman Animated Adventures Continues. So we're hitting volume two of this. This is a uh, a new number one coming out this week. So this has been uh, very much shepherded um, from the from the original animated series, you have uh, Alan Burnett working on this, you have Paul Dini working on this, and you have Ty Templeton on art. And the first volume of this was great, it focused very much on Red Hood and on characters who didn't exist in the animated universe, and now we're introducing The Court of Isles. So this had me very interested straight away, and also you have Deadman uh, pulling up in this as well as a, as a little bit of a foil for Batman. You also have Batman 109 so continuing on with Jim's the fourth and Jorge Jimenez's uh, Bat titles and also continuing with the Ghostmaker backup stories as well. And then any week that has new Deadly Class is a good week for me. So we're Deadly Class 46 now so we're into the second part of the latest story arc there. What about yourself Keith? What were your most uh, anticipated titles for this week?
1: Has to be Firepower number 12. It's the end of... Uh... The uh, Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney uh, martial arts thriller. Uh, it's the end of their first story arc, uh, be the, the first year of firepower. Uh, been a wild ride and uh, apparently everything has been leading to this moment. Scorched Earth Clan and the Order they the playing Fist are facing off one final time and Owen has fully re-entered the world he left behind. And uh, apparently from this point on, everything changes. It's oversized and it's not to be missed. Uh so uh I think we're both looking forward to that one, would be fair to say Alan. Um Marauders Twenty One by uh by Jerry Duggan uh and uh I think it John Bolton on Art, um Matteo Lolly. Uh and it is you're cordially invited to the Hellfire Gala, uh, Out with the Old, a tale of uh, Hellfire Gala Past. So this was uh, uh, Marauders I'm looking forward to you as the, there's there's no order to read them in mm-hmm. uh but i'm very much looking forward to this because jerry duggan is the is the main behind the hellfire gala so this and uh planet the x-men are the two that I, I was really looking looking forward to uh but this is the the hellfire trading company has put together the biggest event of the season the very first hellfire gala everyone will be there all your favorite mutants their closest allies and even their worst enemies for a night of dinner drinks diplomacy and deceit fireworks to follow uh plus from the archives a classic x-men tale with our very first look at a hellfire gala by chris claremont and john bolton uh, so that'll be one i'll be uh, uh looking forward to and then finally james tinney and the fourth nice house on the lake number one uh we don't know too much about this we haven't been looking too deeply into it but everyone who was invited to the house knows walter well they know him a little anyway some met him in childhood some met him months ago and walter's always been a little off but after the hardest year of their lives nobody was going to turn down walters invitation to an an astonishingly beautiful house in the woods overlooking an enormous sylvan leg it's beautiful it's opulent it's private so a week of putting up with walters weird little schemes and nicknames in exchange for a vacation of a lifetime why not uh, all of them were there at the moment of their lives uh, when they could make them they could feel themselves pulling away from their other friends uh wouldn't a chance to reconnect be nice so this is as i say we've we've talked about james tennant tonight uh, something killing the children the department of truth batman so uh, i mean we know what this guy does for the face of horror in modern comics so this has been called his most ambitious story yet with his detective comics partner uh alvaro martinez bueno so this this will be something i think yeah something tells me
0: we may have uh, a little bit to say about this on the next pod to say the least so but again just another scenario where it's follow the creators we purposely stayed vague on the the story details for this and definitely the best way to go into this book but more on that on the next pod so there we go that is us up to date then for the releases from 26th of may we will be back with you soon uh, where we'll be looking over the second of june releases as well